Hey, what's going on, brother? You want to stand or sit? We'll sit and then Roger that. during the session. Sammy, thank you so much. And awesome. thank you again for putting on an event that people aren't selling things from the stage for two days um, and putting quality event. Being a big, big round of applause. Thank you, thank you. So, and by the way, can I tell you, five, three-minute conversation. So for 32 years, my, my business via media at News Corp or what I do in my online subscription business is interviewing people. I've got to tell you, roughly 95% audio doesn't match their video. Five minutes sitting with you yesterday, here's I said, mate, can I just go over some of the questions? He says, listen, you ask me, whatever you want. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. That was it. That was it. That was it. Right? Yeah, that was it. And I like that because um, I'm used to a lot of people giving me, uh, having 27 meetings to work out their questions. Right. No, fuck that. <laughs> so, David, firstly, I want to thank you. And it's going to be a short thank you. I want to tell you, I, I wasn't a, a person that was a, a follower or a user or consuming your content. And when I said uh, yes to the interview from Sam, um, uh, I was at a different stage in my life. Cut a long story short, I just finished uh, cancer for the second time. And um, 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 I recovered for the second time. And then um, during the months that I'd recovered, my little brother, who was age 41, who was my closest friend, the only sibling I have, uh, died. Um, and uh, um, to, to top it all off, three days before he died, I had a cancer relapse again. So you could imagine the, the diary go-forward plan was, you know, funeral, bury your brother, keep your mum sane, and, um, and then thinking I've got to go back into chemo to fight for my life for the third time. On that first chemo session, I, for the first time ever, I cried because I just thought to myself, this is just overwhelming. I can't, I can't do it again. And uh, I had a bunch of chemo nurses come to my station and uh, they sort of got the picture what had happened. And what I was really sad about, David, was I was picturing my brother who'd been in the chemo ward himself and he knew he was going to die. And I just, got, I just got really sad thinking to myself, he endured this and we knew he was going to die and here I was. And um, all I can say to you is that on the second session I went there, um, because I knew this interview was coming, and to be quite honest with you, I was keeping my fingers crossed, not only to meet you, but to actually be alive, to actually do it. And I remember listening to your audio book and the tears stopped, and I listened intently. And who I thought you were and who you were were two different people. I thought to myself, this is some fucking, you are a maniac, but this is some maniac that's not smart, right? <laughs> and I was listening, and I stopped crying, and I'll never forget my chemo nurse. She came up and she said, Tom, keep listening to what you're listening. And I have to tell you, that was the moment Listening to that three or four hours of the audio book, which, by the way, I think is even better than the written book because what you've done is a world first. 
and you've controlled your content and you've told fuck off to publishers and you said, I'm going to do it the way I'm going to do it. So you've got a mate of yours reading it and then you chime in and that chiming in, for some reason, David's, I said to myself, my current situation is not my final destination. I said to myself, here I am right now, the difficult roads, but they're going to lead to beautiful destinations. And I want to thank you for that. Well, we can all go the fuck home. <laughs> I can't fucking say shit to that, man. We're done. Nah. Nah. But I have to tell you, and one of the things I'm going to ask you, I still pack shit to this day because the truth is, since the early 2000s, 2006, it is a little bit like I've got a gun to my back of my head that says at any time I can come back. So sometimes my head never thinks about it. Other times I open up a newspaper and I hear of some actor who's died at 48 and I think to myself, so I, I do, as, as, as uh, Sam says, I do... On the outside, I look like my shit's together, but I'm, I think I'm pretty fucked up, and I'm very fucked up about my brother as well. But I want to ask you, are mentally tough people born, or do they become it? I think, it, I think it's both. I think some are actually born with some genetic freakishness. I was not. And what people do so well with me is that they forget the first fucking four chapters of that book. And all they fucking do, you know, as you read, you start to forget shit. And then you start to hear about running on broken legs and fucking all this sort of shit. And he's must be, oh, my God, pull-up records and this and that. Fucker, don't forget the first three, four chapters when I couldn't read as a junior in high school, where I hit out, where I got called nigger, where I got beat so badly that I became afraid of every motherfucker that ever lived on the planet Earth. Everybody. People for, I had to reinvent a human being. I sat at home so, for so many fucking nights by myself, broken, broken, not just physically, mentally, spiritually, like that chart we have up here with the fucking charity and the fucking family and all that shit. I was looking at it yesterday like this. Fuck. <laughs> I didn't have any of that shit. <laughs> Mental toughness, strength, power, shit. I'm like, fuck, man, I was fucked up. <laughs> but then I sat back and said to myself, I invented a motherfucker. I actually sat back when I was fat, nasty, out of shape, miserable, and created a human being in my mind that didn't even exist. And said, that's what I want to be. I want to be that guy. I want to be a guy that's capable of doing exactly what I'm doing today. And you have to, if you weren't born that guy, that mentally strong guy, he can be made. Woman, man, whatever the, whatever the hell you are. It can be made. But in making that person, you have to turn, be able to turn down book deals. You have to be, you have to be who the fuck you are every day of your life and never care about anybody who gets in your way that says you're not doing something the proper way. I was always afraid of people not wanting to, like, when, when you get beat as bad as I did, I lied all the time. I wanted to be accepted and loved and all that shit that I created about 50 people. Whatever you like, I like. Just if you would be my friend, just be my friend. And that's where we get lost in life. 
Okay, so what do you say to the girl or guy sitting in this audience that has got a bit of a predisposition to want to be liked by many or most? If you don't get over that, you're doomed. Because what happens is this. You start to create a whole bunch of people that aren't even yourself. You, you never figure out who you are. You, you never live up to your dreams, your ambition. You, you live up to what whoever is around you that you like so much that you want to emulate and be like so much. You live their dreams. You, you, so it's, you, you, you lose your power. You, you lose your power. The ultimate power is owning yourself. David, I'm trying to work out. There's so, so there's a point that there's a point that there's this just change that happens, mm-hmm. right? There's this point where you've 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 burned the boats and you're saying that that, that I'm trying to work out. Can change happen? Can change happen if you don't have total darkness? Because you've had like because I you were for those of you for nearly everyone here would know. Terrible upbringing, a father that assaulted mother. Your, your, your first half of your life sounds extremely challenging. You had a disadvantage to start off with, right? But what if there's people that haven't had darkness? Can they actually do a change? They can. And I get that question a lot. While it helps you, it also hurts you to come from darkness. Because why? It's easy for me to sit back and say, you know what? poopy pants mentality. I want to sit back and let the world take care of me now. And we, that's what I'm talking about. Don't play sick too long. While my childhood was so messed up, I played sick way too long and I almost lost tons of opportunities by playing sick. Because it feels good to play sick. My dad beat the fucking shit out of me, man. I, I couldn't read. I can't read. You know, when I was a junior in high school, I couldn't read. If you lived that life, yeah. it feels good for people to, oh, man, you know, that's just David, man. He's just not real smart, and he had a bad life. And you get a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's nice. It sucks doing what I had to do to get here today. That was not fucking fun. That darkness is not, there's, there's nothing that dark to drive me to the places I had to go to become successful. On the flip side of that, if you come from a Silver Spoon family, you have to realize that. You get to realize, fuck, there's people out there like David Goggins who had nothing, fucking nothing. And I've had all this opportunity in front of me, and I'm a loser. I'm not shit. So what does that say about me? The conversations are very similar. You have all this opportunity, and you've gone nowhere with it. I'm at the bottom of the barrel, and it could take me a lot longer just to get where you're at. For the, for the starting line, to be fair. So, yeah, it's just can, how you look at the I, life. Can I ask you, you um, there are people sitting in this room that have had similar backgrounds. Their parents, in many, their parents in many ways didn't do... They could have been better in the way that they, they went about the job as a parent. Do you... What do you say to the people that have that belief which it, it, I mean there is a, like would you agree that there is a bit of a, a birth lottery right like you can be born in in Ethiopia oh. as a girl right and, and 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 the lottery ticket is quite different to the lottery definitely ticket definitely a birth lottery yeah I ain't I ain't win that motherfucker <laughs> I lost big time <laughs> um so what do you say to those persons because can I get a show of hands who's had would you say 
a challenging upbringing? Get a show of hands. So there's maybe about 30%, 20%. Right. What do you say to them? About their challenge and upbringing? Yeah. Letting go. Are you still pissed off with your parents, with your dad? Not at all. So my dad's dead. When did he so die? I didn't talk about it. He died about four or five years ago. I didn't go to the funeral. I, don't, I didn't talk about it and can't hurt me. And everybody asked me, what, what happened to your dad? What happened to your dad? I'm going to tell you what happened to my dad. So as you know from Can't Hurt Me, he beat the living shit out of me, my brother, my mom. Horribly. He did, was you fight, did you fight back against your dad? when you? Were yes. There? And that's what knocked the courage out of me. So this is where the voice got real loud for me. I would sit back and watch. So one episode, my mom got knocked out top of the stairs. My dad got her hair, drug her down the stairs by her hair. And this is after she took me to the hospital. So I had a really bad earache. Ears were bleeding. I was about seven or eight years old. And how this came to be was my dad would always play these mental warfare games. And this is the worst whipping I ever got in my life. Even talk about it kind of fucks me up a little bit. So what he would do is the staircase goes up, and off to your left was his room. Off to the right was my room, my brother's room. You rap on the staircase, and you go in this room. He was a fucked up dude, really crazy guy. He had uh, mirrors all on the ceiling for sexual acts, where the fuck he was doing in there, but it's crazy dude. Everything about him was wired wrong. So what he would do is he would make sure that his bed was, was here, and the door would be behind us. So we would have to take our clothes off. And this after I went to the hospital to get my ears checked out. And lay over the bed, lay over the bed, butt naked. And I hear in the hallway this stuff going on. My mom and dad are arguing, fighting, because my mom broke the rules. We're not going to the hospital. We had no insurance. So my mom said, David is going to go deaf. So... She took me, broke the rule. I had to go upstairs and get you know, away from my whipping for having fucked up ears. So this is where you don't know what the fuck is going on in life, where you get in trouble for having something happen to you. So your mind's all wired fucked up. So my mom was getting her ass beat outside. The door is shut. The lights in the room are, are down, like off. That's how he wanted it. My back's facing the door. I hear this going on. He walks in, drunk takes his belt off, and don't know if it was on purpose or accident, he beat me with the belt buckle. So the next morning we wake up, I wake up, or I'm in the bed, my mom, it's time to go to school. And I hardly went to school because we worked at Skateland, the skating rink. And this is, what, this is when I started fighting back. My mom pulls the covers off me, and she looks at my body. From the beating, she didn't know how bad it was. I was black and blue from my neck down to my ankles. And she had to write a letter to school saying that David cannot participate in PE today. Because, you know, you got to wear shorts and a T-shirt. And also bruised up. And her look on her face fucked me up so bad. If you look at the VFW ward, it's on that video when I'm broken down, crying and shit. Haven't cried in 30 years. And for some reason, I get this award, I turn around to look at her. It wasn't like she was the best mom in the world. When I looked back at her, I saw that face. I went right back to when she pulled the covers off me. The look on your mom's face when you see your shit that fucked up, it, stayed, it haunts you. So the next time my mom got in a scuffle with my dad, I fought back. And when I fought back, it was game on for me. I got beat the fuck down. 
And he beat me so bad every time I fought because his voice would say, go cower. My brother would go cower in the room and shut the door. I started staying there and fighting. And, but what happened was the fear grew more and more because his voice said, help your mom. I'm like, fuck that, man. I'm scared. Help your mom. I'm scared. And then you go into the war zone because that voice is so strong saying, get in the fight. And you get in the fight and you get fucked up. But over a period of time, what happened was my father got scared of me. It was weird. The beating, I never got whipped again. The beating stopped. And then we moved to Brazil, Indiana. And that's where another war happened for me. So the, the moral of the story. Do you, you hate your father? Do I hate him? No. So when he died, I'm getting to your question now. I was at a really bad time in my life. 300 pounds, brain for cockroach, Ecolab, $1,000 a month, scared of the water, scared of life. Fucking my demons are just flying around my head every day. So I realized that whenever times would get hard for me, I would fucking quit. And I would work my ass off. I taught myself how to read and write. I taught myself how to swim. But whenever something would get with crest just high enough to where I just couldn't mentally handle it, I would always just punch out. And this right here is you pulling your parachute and pulling a reserve is why I'm doing this. So basically, you always just punch out and you fucking quit and go back to where you started. I'm not good enough. And I wonder, why is my mind so fucked up? And I started, I, I think a lot. And I said, you know what, man? This shit started in Buffalo with my father. I hadn't seen him now for 12 years. So I drove from Indiana to Buffalo, New York to visit my father. And while we didn't say anything to each other, you know, we, he, he tried to, you know, do whatever he does. And he didn't say sorry, but only went back there to study the demon. I never studied him before. And come to find out, years later, I found out that he's afraid of the dark. He died at 79 years old. He's afraid of the dark. I didn't know this. He had a whole bunch of demons himself. While he never said sorry I was able to understand a little bit more about the fucking enemy. And when you understand the enemy more, it makes sense to why you, if nothing makes sense to you, you always wonder why. So those demons keep on flying around. I knew why. His dad beat the fuck out of him. Bad. The stories I heard were so horrible. My brother got the stories and relayed them to me. So it was, I did my research. So never fear something until you do your research on it. So, so David, it's, you've got, you went back there with a curiosity mindset. You, didn't, you went there to, to, to study. Right. Study that. And I'm, I'm curious now. So what you're saying is, did, did it help you? Have, you? have you forgiven him? Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Seriously. Seriously. I, I, I don't know if I forgave him. I understand. Why do I understand? Because... So many people look at me now as who I am. Like, man, it's fucking hard. When your dad, when your mom, when, when you get beat and you don't fix yourself, and then you get a family, when, when you don't fix yourself, if you're 20 years old, you get a girl pregnant, you're not ready for that. When you're a young kid, four or five, six, I'm not like giving him a get-out-of-jail-free card. The man needed fucking help and never got it. So therefore, me, my mom, my brother got demonized. We got fucked up. So I understand where the demon came from. 
So there's a possibility this may have been generation after generation right. after generation. Right. And what you said is there's a strong possibility I'm going to stop this, 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 this link. And you talk, you, you, you talk about he never fixed himself. You decided to fix yourself. Right. Two most defining moments in your life. That drive there, because it's a fucking eight-hour drive, terrified. I had to become a man on that drive because I was every hour I got closer to Buffalo, I lost five years in age. I went from 24 to 19 and then from 19 down and I walked in that fucking door. I was eight again. And my mind was like, it was this fucking. And that's, but when I left, I got 10 years back. I became an old man in my mind. To the 30% of the room that indicated that their upbringing has somehow impacted their life right now, what do you say to them? 100%. 100%. With everybody in this fucking room. I'm not a shrink. I don't fucking know all that shit. But I know one thing. I, I'm not a practitioner. Well, I am a practitioner. Most people study shit. I actually got a chance to live it, feel it, sense it, be in it, feel the emotion of it all. And that's why I can talk about the way I do, because I know how most people feel who are fucked up. We live in a world where you can go onto YouTube or Audible, or you can go to a seminar like now. The answers are out there. People know, generally speaking, in life, business, and health, what they need to do. The information is out there. Right. What are your best tips to people that have come to this great event to move to a step of action to, to if they've been procrastinators, if they've been people that... Sometimes there's people that are course junkies. They go to a lot of events. Right. And what happens is they know the information, but somewhere along the line, the execution doesn't take place. What do you say to them? Well, the most important thing about all that is you have to go. There's always a, a blockade. There's, there, there's a barrier in your brain. There's a barrier. You got to find out what kind of removes that barrier from your brain. My biggest barrier was my father. And once I removed that barrier, I was free to think. And once I felt good about myself... I was free to put action in. I never felt good about myself. I never felt good about myself. Whenever I would get somewhere, the demon would come back, put me right back in the cage. If you don't go back, like I'm a runner, left knee hurts. A lot of people focus on that fucking left knee. A lot of times it's your fucking right hip. And that's about life. You got to figure out what has messed you up mentally. Go to the source. Go to the source. Go to the origin of the source. Like peeling an onion. Strip it. it down. And that's what I did to myself. So that, you know, that whole accountability mirror. Did you do it on your own? Did you do it with any help? Every single thing I've ever done that's in that book or anywhere else was on my own. Everything. Every, my mom worked three jobs. My, I, I was raised in a town of 10,000 people with a KKK marched in a 4th of July parade in 1995. There wasn't a lot of fucking help. 
My first car got spray painted nigger all over it. And I was, and I, I was so dumb at that time. People say, oh, don't call yourself dumb. I was fucking dumb at that time. That they spelled nigger Niger. <laughs> Y'all motherfuckers can laugh. I know a lot of white people in here. It's okay. <laughs> and I went to the principal, and the principal said, it's all you can tell me. And my mom knew about none of this because I felt so sorry for her and how she grew up, or kind of grew up because she was 19 when she met my father. And I saw this young woman just become a shell of herself. She's 72 now and still, she has everything, everything. And she still lives back there. Cannot live in the present where she has everything. All the money she wants, she's healthier than me, everything. But the demon brings her back in the cage. So, um, yeah, man, it's just... Uh, it's like your view. Is life suffering? There's a part of it that has to be about suffering. And people hate it when I, take, when I, when I post about suffering, this whole new, kinder, gentler, soft-ass fucking world, <laughs> they just fucking, oh, God, this is horrible. We talking about, no. Suffering, if you know how to do it without making it out to be like, oh, I'm not talking about you have to go through cancer. But I guarantee one thing, man, I bet you are better motherfucker, mentally, if you look at it the right way, everything I went through in my life, every bad fucking thing I went through in my life, the two heart surgeries, all the name calling, being everything I went through, if you learn how to flip that motherfucker on top of his head and say, hang on, hang on, there's so much power in this fucking thing. And if you look at life as it is a trial ground, a testing ground, for where you need to belong, where you need to go. Suffering is a fact of life. If you look at suffering the right way, it's a great tool to callous your mind. If you look at it as suffering, woe is me, this is bullshit, God, kicking rocks. If you look at it like, okay, motherfucker, you're testing me now. I get it. Whenever I'm being like depressed, I go through depressed moments, I go, oh, hang on. I'm getting, I'm getting tested. So you have to be aware of all the signals and signs that are, that are being given to you from the world. One of them is if you feel bad, you're being tested. How are you going to perform under that? And that's suffering is a part of life. Yeah, look. Very needed. I, I use a term, some of the best gifts in life come badly wrapped, you know, and for some people it's... Uh, it's an upbringing, it's uh, what you went through. Uh, for others, it's illness, the death of a child. Um, yeah, look, I'll be honest with you, David, I, 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 I resonate. You know, the person that goes into a storm is a different person that comes out of the storm, but I wish it wasn't with fucking chemo. <laughs> you know? I can't, I can't even relate, dude. I can't yeah. even relate. Can I, can I ask you the question of when you're running, you run for hours. Days. What? what? Days. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. So Fucking days, dude. So there, near my house is a thing called the Bay Run. Obviously, it's not uh, very far. <laughs> It's, it's 10 minutes from here. It's, it's seven kilometers. And 
That's cute. <laughs> and at the six kilometer mark, don't do it. <laughs> don't. So, what the, what the fuck do you think of the fucking days? <laughs> what do you think of? Oh, like, man. You got, are you listening to audio books? Hell no. No, there's no music in these ears. No music in these ears. What's going through your mind? Honestly, so many things. But I'm able to, man, you know how Stephen Hawking, brilliant mind, right? In the wheelchair. One of the smartest men ever live. I have a mind that's very different than most people. And I have about what I'm saying, don't take it, oh my God, David said like four personalities. I'm able to realize I'm going to be out here for fucking 70 hours. I'm able to go to a place that's so fucking gone, I become a robot. An actual robot. Seriously, I know it's like, you're fucking nuts. No, I become a robot. I don't think, I don't fucking nothing. I just move. I let, I let time go. Okay, fucking, it's six kilometers, <laughs> right? And I'm no robot. Right. Is there a hack? Is there something at six kilometers where I just be go from fucking Tom Panels to robot? Is there something? The time is too short. <laughs> there's no robot in there, man. It's just second to fuck up. <laughs> like, there's no robot mode in six kilometers, you know what I'm saying? Like a, like a 7K? <laughs> It's like, you just got to go out there and get it. There's no magic trick to that one. <laughs> Sorry, man. You know what, dude? But this is what I would do. I call up my cookie jar. And you got some big-ass fucking cookies, dude. What that means is this. Huh. I invented this thing called the cookie jar when I was growing up. You know how your mom fucking, well, my mom, we were real poor, and she would go by and get these fucking cheap-ass cookies from Aldi's, which is like a generic grocery store, and like 50-cent cookies, and she would just dump them in this cookie jar. So sometimes you reach in the cookie jar, and you pull out a, a fucking mint cookie, or maybe a chocolate chip, maybe a peanut butter. So my cookie jar is, we forget how badass we are in hard times. And that cookie jar, look at it as a fortune cookie. You're reaching that motherfucker, you pull out a fortune cookie, and you read it. What we do in life is we've all gone through suffering. We've all gone through hard times, and we've made it. But when you're in the midst of suffering, what our mind does is this. You think about the now, and there's no strength in it. God, I'm going through cancer. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. What I've learned to do in hard times is take a step back. Give myself, it's called my one-second decision. I take a step back before I want to quit something, before something gets hard, I say, hang on there. You were one of five kids in an all-white school and got called nigger every fucking day. You taught yourself how to swim, how to read and write. You went through three fucking Navy SEAL Hell Weeks. You went through Ranger School. You went to Delta Force Selection twice. You've run 200 miles. You've run 256 miles. You've done 4,000. Those are cookies. When you're running fucking a 7K while we laugh about it, it's all relative. And you're fucking hurting. You've had cancer three fucking times. And you're here. It's a big fucking cookie, man. So you reach in your fucking mental cookie jar. You pull that motherfucker out and you read it. 
lost my brother. Cancer. Well, not once, not twice, three times. I'm still fucking here. And I'll know the rest of your life. That's just a snippet of what I fucking know. So that's what I do when times get hard, is I remind myself I'm a bad motherfucker. Let's go for a fucking run. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You wake up. Some days wake up better than other days. Yeah. A day that you don't wake up that's not great. May foggy brain. You want to clear your mind. Yep. Any tips? Yeah. This is what happens, man. This is what happens to me on most mornings. I was 300 pounds twice in my life. So every day I have my shoes laid out because I hate running. People don't believe it. <laughs> Fuck you. I hate it. <laughs> so this is what happens. Every day I wake up out of my fucking bed and there's my shoes. My shirt, my shorts. Depending on the weather. There's some days I fucking wake up and I just look at the motherfuckers for hours. And then I start walking around the fucking house. And I say, I ain't fucking running today. I'm not doing shit today. Nothing. I don't have to. I fucking did all that shit. I need all this shit. I went through all this hell weeks and fucking got my ass kicked all the time and fucking made it. What am I doing this shit for? And that's when I think. I got 2.3 million followers on Instagram. This ain't about you anymore, motherfucker. This ain't about your fucking ranger schools and getting beat as a kid and shit. You have an obligation, not to yourself, but to everybody out there that is touched by what you do as a human being. While nobody knows what I'm doing, no one is videoing me and shit. I am a virtual trainer mentally because there's a lot of people out there saying, man, David Goggins is fucking getting after it today. And if I wake up one morning and don't fucking do that, I go back to that David Goggins who lied about being who he wanted to be. So my thing that keeps me going every day is my mission in life. While I did not choose it, I'm an introvert and I fucking hate what we're doing even right now is to always stay the fucking course. You man the fuck up every fucking day of your life because you know exactly what it is to not man up. I've done that too many times in my life. So that's what keeps me going. Give him. Because the truth truth is, David, the truth is that from a financial point of view, you probably don't have to do this. So why, why do you turn around and, and, and take that responsibility on? Because you're saying that, hey, I don't want to get off and run, but I know I've got 2.3 million people. I've got a bunch of people that are looking at it. You don't need, you could walk away from it. Why do you do it? Because I know that's the only place where growth happens. It's the only place. Man, I never forget when I was younger and I lived in a seven dollar place and it fucked up. Everything was jacked up. I would, for, I had a pair of jeans and every I'll never forget this as long as I live. You know, first day of school, people go school shopping, right? Week out, two weeks out, maybe a month out. We didn't have any money to do that. So I had this pair of jeans that the inside of the pocket was green. 
The inside of the pocket was green. And I wore them almost every fucking day. So what I did for the next year of school was I cut that pocket out so the green would show. So it looked like a new pair of jeans. All I wanted was money. All I wanted was a nice car, was a nice home. And the second I got the fucking money to do it, I realized this is bullshit. That's why I don't own a car. I don't own a place. I don't own shit. You will see me wearing the same fucking shit every fucking day. I don't high wire, none of that, nothing. Nothing. What I realized is all I wanted in my life was look at that fucker in that accountability mirror and be proud of. And everything else went away. While you need money to be successful, you need money to live, you need money, money does buy a form of happiness because without it, you're fucking miserable. But once I realized it, it doesn't mean shit, it doesn't mean shit for me. What makes you happy? Achievement, reaching goals, accomplishing things that I thought were impossible to accomplish. Because while I don't smile all the time, there's this feeling inside of me that no one, very few people have. Very few people have. Because when you come from where I came from, nothing, and you make something out of nothing, the feeling it stays with you all day fucking long. And it allows you to be who you want to be in front of anybody. So that's... Listen, and by the way, can I just say last night when I, um, I, I left here and I went home and um, I spent an hour or so watching a Joe Rogan um, podcast <laughs> with you. Yeah. And then you've done two with him. Right. And I noticed that on the second one, you definitely smile a lot more than the first one. Right. Um, did you notice that? I noticed that with Joe. Me and Joe were decent friends. And for me, it takes a long time to get there. So I don't trust a lot of people. You trust Joe? I trust Joe huge. Huge. Because we've had the real conversations. A lot of people live on the surface, man. They, they tell you all this bullshit, like Instagram. It's, it's bullshit. A lot of people are just full of shit, man. I couldn't stop laughing as I was falling asleep last night. I was listening to it. You asked him, how much do you weigh? He responded, 200 pounds. And I think, you said 200, yeah. I and he said, so. fuck, you're a thick dude, mate. You're a thick motherfucker. <laughs> thick motherfucker. <laughs> um, listen, um, and by the way, I'm going to come uh, to an end in this because I'd love to uh, get Sam to facilitate a bit of stuff here. Um, I will just say this. Yesterday... On YouTube, there's comments underneath. People comment on the video. Right. I cannot get over, I cannot get over the amount of people, David, that didn't just say, great interview, best ever on Joe Rogan. What I went through was people saying, I lost 37 pounds. I lost 48 pounds. I went and got a job. Thank you so much. David, I was about to commit suicide. There is one after the other after the other. And you're thinking to yourself, fuck, most people on fucking YouTube, there's a lot of people that are a little bit, you know, sarcastic, trollers, but there is just one. I, on behalf of our audience, um, 
and um, you may or may not be aware of it, the impact, the ability to get into people's brains, you seem to do it in a better way than any, than, than, than any PhD professor, than any academic. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe God has given you that path. But the one thing for sure is that uh, you're meeting every one of those tests that you've been given. And I can tell you, the world is a far better place with David Goggins. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.